Amen. turn with me over to the book of Ephesians. Uh, We're going to use our text, one verse out of our text from last week as a springboard into our message this morning. Boy, you're a good looking bunch this morning. I, I want you to know I love this church. Amen. Amen. I love you. You look, you, thank you. I appreciate that. Amen. You guys look so good this morning. Um, I just counted a privilege. I remember Pastor Pennington used to always say, he would say, you know, it's amazing that you come every week to listen to me preach. And I, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. But it, it truly is. It's amazing to me. I, I, I think about it and I think, well, dear Lord, what, you know, but you do every week you come. And I appreciate that so much. I'll tell you, the Lord has put something really serious upon my heart and and a little bit last year I talked about it, but m- more this year we're going to talk a lot about this. And, and this is something that I really believe that if I can do, do it justice to communicate it to you, this is something that will not only revolu- revolutionize us as Christians, but it will revolutionize us as a church. Um, and Because it, it really is a looking back and going back to what God had really originally intended for the church. And I think that's necessary. I think sometimes what we have to do is maybe take a little bit of inventory and 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 maybe look at how far we're how close or how far off we are from what God intends so that we can be what he intends. Because how many know we want to be what God created us to be? Can you say amen? amen. We want that. And so last year or last year, last week we started a, ser- a sermon series entitled um, family dynamics. And so I'm spending the next few weeks just talking to you about family dynamics because the theme of our year for all year, this theme that we're going to talk about is family. Because I don't know if there is anything more important in all of the kingdom of God than family. And, and let me just tell you why. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably drift off my notes a little bit today. But let me tell you why. At the very core of your salvation, I want you to think about this because This will be in sermons in the future, so I'm kind of giving you a little preview of things to come. But at the very core of our salvation is a thing called the spirit of adoption. Amen. 
He said, well, I don't understand that. That's okay. We'll, we'll help you. We'll get, help you to understand that. But what that means is, is that you and I were at one time estranged. We weren't a part of a family. We were orphans. Amen. And then through Christ, through the blood of Christ and the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, he died, he rose again for us. Through that act, the spirit of adoption is released into our lives. And so those of us who were not a part of anything became a part of something. Salvation, let me tell you something. Salvation is God's idea. Salvation is God's choice. And salvation is not just you and I becoming religious or salvation is not you and I getting a, you know, fire insurance for eternity. Salvation is about you and I coming into a family. That's why he says it's the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Why would he say something like that? Well, he would say that because his intention is to have a family. His intention is to draw all those that were estranged from him, those that were off doing their own thing in sin. They were disconnected, if you will, from God. He says, through adoption, I'm going to claim you back. I'm going to draw you back into my presence, into my family. And that's the essence of salvation. And that's why when you think about Salvation and family and all the things that we talk about, why this subject is so important. And the tr- truth is, and we'll see here in just a little bit, the church has kind of drifted from that a little bit. We've kind of got lost in, in modern society, and we've kind of lost that thought of, of, of family. And we want to get back to that because it has always been and always will be God's will that you and I would be his family. And the church... If the church will truly become the family of God, listen to me, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. Nothing can stand against it. See, there, I don't know that even, even think about your family. Think about the dynamic of family. When you're fighting for something, when you're protecting and when you're, you know, family has a dynamic. We, we will do things in the context of family that we won't do anywhere else. We'll lay our lives down. We'll fight. We'll, and see, here's the problem. The problem is the devil has taken a shot at family. Even in American society, family has kind of dwindled a little bit. We've, we've lost the essence of that, and, and now family. So what happens is family becomes dysfunctional. And when family becomes dysfunctional, people become dysfunctional. Okay, and it's out of the context of family. You say, why is that? Because family, in the context of family, is where all transformation happens. That's where we're truly changed. It's in family. Family is the incubator of every relationship. Every relationship that you have now and will ever have is going to be, going to be built and, and nurtured and, 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 and built up in the context of family. Family is the place that you learn about relationship. What you understand or what you don't understand about family comes out of your family. Either the, the, the blessing of it or the lack of it. Come on. There are, there, there are men today that struggle to be fathers. Why? Because they never had a father. There are women that are, are struggling to be mothers. Why? Because they never had and I'm not talking about being a biological mother. I'm talking about having that essence of motherhood because they never had that. They don't have that. So children then are struggling to be what God's called them to be because they don't have an example. Because relationship is formed in the family. Identity is birthed in the family. It's in the context of family that we learn who we are. What we are, what we're all about. And so when the family is dysfunctional, when the family is broken up, all of those things begin to fall apart. And in the context of church family, family is the seedbed for all ministry. I said to you last week, I said, could it be that we have completely overcomplicated ministry? Could it be that ministry is more about you and I simply taking our place in the family? Simply being who God created us to be in family. There is no one in the family that is more important or less important. More significant or less, in, less significant, insignificant. 
We're all significant in the family. We all are a part. We're all a part of that thing, and we all have one goal, and that's the family would succeed. And so we talked about this last week, and we talked about the values of Christian life. And, and there are four value, values in Christian life that I believe are non-negotiable, and the first one is fellowship. We talked about fellowship, and we said the New Testament church had fellowship not just as an activity. It wasn't a barbecue on Saturday afternoon or a potluck on Sunday evening or something we did in between services. Fellowship was a principle that they lived by. The Bible says they went from house to house daily breaking bread with one another. In other words, they were communing, they were connecting with one another. It was a principle that they lived by. They, 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 we talked about community as the second value. Community is not a luxury that we can just take or leave. Community is a necessity. You were created to belong. Human nature, if you look at all the psychological and uh, uh, mental social studies, you'll find that belonging is a need that's way high up on the list. And we will do just about anything to belong. Amen. We'll even compromise at times what we believe so that we can sense that we belong. Well, the kingdom of God is built so that you can belong. And not just belong. It's, it's not just me going, hey, I choose to be a member. It's God choosing you to be a significant part of the whole. That's adoption. Then we talked about family, the, the supernatural dynamic called family, where everything is transformed. <coughs> it's where everything begins to make sense. And then we talked about the body of Christ as being uh, the, 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 the thing that causes that family, community, and, and fellowship to come together. See, all of those things are an expression of the body. And we said that, you know what, to be connected with the body is to be connected in the family. And you cannot be connected to the, you cannot be connected to the head without being connected to the body. So the reverse is true. If you are disconnected from the body, if you don't find your place in the body, you're not connected to the head. You're out of joint with the head. Think about that for a moment. Now, when we bring it down, because I know we could take this into a universal mindset that, yes, I'm a part of the universal body of Christ, and that is true. But see, the universal body of Christ is made up of other bodies, just like the family of humanity is made up of a lot of families. And you are born into a family, just as you were born into a natural family, You've been placed or born into a spiritual family. And the Bible says that God places in the body as it pleases him. So that means you and I are in this church at the pleasure of the Lord. So no, 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 you you missed it, Pastor. I picked this place. Well, I like to think that you did, but God had a big hand in it. God's will be done. Can you say amen? And so what we've got to understand is it's all about family. The kingdom of God is a family. That's why we say our father who art in heaven. He is a father, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, the one that reigns and rules in this spiritual supernatural kingdom. His title is father. Our father who art in heaven. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he says, address God this way, our Father. Why? Because we're a part of a family. So look at your text. Ephesians chapter 2, start uh, looking at verse 19, one verse. And I'm going to be reading from the, new, uh, from the Living Bible because uh, I just like the way that it's phrased here. It says, now you are no longer strangers to God, and foreigners in heaven. Don't you love that? You're not a stranger. In other words, you're, you're not disconnected from God, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other 
Christian. Now that's powerful. That, that, that needs to mean something to us. That, that needs to take on a little bit of life in our life. We need to understand that we're a part of something far bigger than we can really ever imagine. What's going on here today has far more reaching impact into this world than we will know this side of eternity. God's doing something powerful in this place. And so this morning, I want to take this thought a little bit further with you and, and, and kind of dissect this a little bit and kind of deal with this a little bit. Now, before we go on, I, I need to say something. I need to put out a disclaimer. Pastor Pennington used to do this. He'd say, tell people around you, say, Pastor's going to help me today. So when we get through about halfway through this point, and you're starting to go, hey, buddy, what's up with you? Just look at your neighbor and go, pastor's helping me. Amen. I don't want you to think I'm shooting at you or judging you or condemning you. I want to point out some things. I, I, I want to maybe pull the curtain back a little bit and look at some truth. And say, wait a second, where are we? Because we really got to do some inventory, I think. We really do need to take and, and, and measure a little bit. You know, because if you don't do that, if you, if you don't pay attention, you might find yourself way off. One of the things that I, I learned when I was doing concrete and, and doing construction was that an inch here can be a mile down the road. You know, people, oh, we're only a quarter inch. Well, hey, a quarter inch can be a lot 10 feet down the road. And you get way down the road, you can be way off. So every now and then, it's good for us to go back and take maybe an examination of who we are and what we are. Not because we're condemning, but because we need to do that in-flight adjustment. Amen. We need to get back on course a little bit. Because there are forces in this life that will push against you. And shove you and nudge you so that you will get off course. And it doesn't have to nudge you very far today to get you off course tomorrow. Just a little bit. So that's why every now and then we need to take a look. So when I get going through this and you're starting to feel the heat a little bit, just look around and just go, he's helping me, he's helping me. Now I want to make a statement as we begin this trail. And you need to understand this. Spiritual formation, spiritual maturity, spiritual growth occurs primarily in the context of community. Amen. You say, what what do you mean by that? What that means is, is that people who remain connected, and the key word is remain, connected, with their brothers and sisters in the Lord or in their church, always grow spiritually and mature in their Christianity. Why is that? Because what happens is their ability to relate to one another in healthy ways and to God grows. I want you to think about this. Oftentimes, the things that we struggle with the most The things that trip us up the most are things that have to do with people. Amen. The temptations we face oftentimes when you boil all down has to do with people. The arguments, the strife, the difficulty, the anger, the forgiveness, the bitterness, the dysfunction oftentimes is because of relationship. And so it can be said like this, long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible or the oven in which genuine Christianity is formed. It's through relationship. It's an interesting thing. I am always amazed at this, and I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit more. But God designed a system that me helping you to grow causes me to grow. Me helping you in your need gets my need fulfilled. Are you hearing that? We need to pay attention to that. Can you say amen? amen? See, one man put it this way. People who stay put or people who put down roots 
grow. Amen. That's the power of family. Family is not the principle, or it's not a principle that we can afford to ignore, or we can't just take it or leave it this morning. And it doesn't just happen. It's intentional. In other words, family is something that we have to, have to be purposeful about. That, 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 that we are a part of this family. And I believe one of the reasons that we see so many people stuck in infancy in their Christianity is because they have yet to take their place in the family. Listen, people who remain disconnected never grow. Are you hearing me? We all know people like that, don't we? We know people that have what we call spiritual wanderlust. What does that mean? Well, they move from church to church, ever searching for the perfect church, perfect congregation that will better satisfy their immediate need. And the problem with that is they never find satisfaction. Because satisfaction is only going to come when you finally put roots down and begin to grow. So what we do is we search from here to there. We're like trees that repeatedly transplant themselves from soil to soil. The result is there's no fruit. If you take a plant, a flower, a tomato bush, whatever you have, and you transplant it over and over and over and over again, the growing season, the fruitful season, will never come. And that's what's happening in Christianity. Because what happens is we, 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 we come into a church, and because we don't look at it as our family, because we don't connect in family, then the moment we have a crisis in relationship, we run. It's like, I'm done with that. They didn't smile at me. See ya. Or he stole my chair. Or that pastor keeps moving the chairs. What's up with him? Or he gets a wild hair to make the ceiling black. I'm out of here. I'm over. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, hang on. It's not over yet. (laughs) Or when we feel uncomfortable. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm. I just, I just, you know, you know, I have people come to me. I've had people in the past come to me and say, you know what, Pastor, uh, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably go to another church and say, well, well I'm not getting fed. And, and what they're saying is you're not spoon feeding me. Right. Look to your neighbors. He's helping me. <laughs> See, feeding is something. Yeah, there's a season in every child's life where we will feed you. But there comes a time. Imagine, Titus, he's 28 years old. Feed me. You go feed yourself, bro. Come on. We get uncomfortable. We, we have a hurt or we have a difficulty. And so rather than pushing through, rather than looking at the church, and saying, you know what? You are more important than my discomfort. You are more important than our disagreement. You are more important than my difficulty. I'm out. So what happens is we lose out. See, somewhere, see, my wife and I, we've been married 32 years, going to be 32 in May. And the the reason, that's okay, you could, the reason we've made it 32 years isn't because we're perfect. The reason we've made it 32 years by and large is because my wife is far better than I am. Look at I'm a handful. I'm high maintenance, dude. I, I, I know it. I, I know. I look in the mirror and I go, you are high maintenance. Thank God for my wife. But there has been seasons and times where we've had to work through some stuff. But see what happened. It's like, okay, for instance... You know, I always, you, everybody knows I always get on her about the checkbook and not recording stuff. Well, you know what? I don't do dishes well. I, I had kids so that they would be the dishwashers. That's, now they're gone. What's up with that? Grandkids, I got to teach them how to do dishes. And so, 
You know, we can get into some arguments. Kathy can come home from work, and I can go, where's dinner? She goes, I don't know, fat boy, where is it? You're the one that's got the flexible schedule. You know, you're a pastor, you only work one hour a week. What's up with that? Yeah. <laughs> but somewhere what happens is when we get in those moments of conflict, I look at her and say, you know what? You are more important to me than the conflict. So I'm going to protect our relationship. I'm going to work this out with you because I love you. It may be painful. It may be difficult. It may be uncomfortable. And you know what? I may even have to sacrifice a little bit in it. I may have to give up a little bit in my own desire because it's better for our overall relationship than me demanding my own way. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have to ask ourselves a question. Why is it that we are so conflicted when it comes to these kinds of relationships in family? Why is it so easy to leave rather than be in community? Why do we why do we put such a premium on our personal happiness over these godly relationships he's put in our lives? Why is it that the church struggles so hard to find a place of priority in the hearts and lives of Christians? I believe this morning it's because the church, for the most part, has missed the mark. See, the New Testament church was designed to be a community held together by the power of family. That, when you read in Acts, the first couple chapters of Acts, especially Acts 2, Acts 3, when you read in there, you're going to find scriptures that talk about this wonderful community held together in the context of family dynamic. That's what the New Testament church was birthed in. But something very tragic has happened. It was very subtle, very unseeming, and it took a long time. And what happened is we've been socialized to believe that our dreams, our goals, our personal fulfillment ought to take precedent over the well-being of our church or our family. Social scientists have a label for it. They call it radical individualism. Come on. And what this amounts to is pretty simple. The immediate needs of the individual have become more important than the needs of others. So when the going gets rough in the church, we leave, we withdraw. How many know you can withdraw and leave without ever leaving? How many know that you can disconnect and still be present? And what happens is we refuse to live in community and family with one another. This radical individualistic worldview really does go a long way to explain why the church struggles to keep what God has intended all along. See, we've been called the me culture. The me culture. It's about me. The Bible is just pretty plain. It calls it selfishness. Right. <laughs> yeah. The church in many ways, and I told you this last week, has adopted the Walmart approach to church. Now listen, before you get after me, I'm not against Walmart. I love Walmart. I love shopping at Walmart. I love the people of Walmart. Okay, I guess you'd have to see some of the pictures. but And I'm not against it. I'm not against Walmart for shopping. I am against it for doing church. See, what that means to me is we want a church that has lots of programs that meet a multitude of needs so that we can pick and choose at our convenience what we want with little to no personal cost or commitment. Now, I want to use an example because I know probably 
a, a good portion of you will remember this. Do you remember? See, I was born at a time. I was born at a time where society was kind of changing. My, my dad and his father, my grandfather and my dad and my, my uncles, they owned a bakery in Saginaw, Michigan, and it was a scratch bakery. That, that means they made everything from scratch. And I'm telling you what, some of the stuff they made was outrageous. They had a, along with the bakery, they had a catering business. And they, they didn't just go get frozen food. They, they made, they had a person that cooked. My grandma was like a chef. And I mean, some of the food that they put out was outrageous. But they had this bakery. And my dad would go, I remember when they would do uh, catering, my dad would go to the butcher at the butcher shop and get special cuts of meat just for them. And then you could go, in Michigan, you could go to the uh, farmer's market where they sold just vegetables. Right. And you could get freshly grown vegetables right, right there. So you had the bakery, you had the farmer's market, you had the, the butcher, and you had all these mom and pop stores. And then something really unique happened. And everybody thought it was going to be a great improvement. And what happened is the big stores came in. One-stop shopping. They had bakeries, they had produce, they had meat, they had this, they had that. All you do for your convenience, come in, one-stop shopping, and then the personal attention attention to detail was lost so now i can go to the i can go to walmart and get donuts what does walmart know about making donuts if you've never had a donut fresh from scratch i'm talking about the kind of donut that melts in your mouth i'm talking about the kind of donut that chocolate just oozes out of your mouth i'm talking about the kind of donut that makes you want to eat 13 of them that's why they called it a baker's dozen because the baker couldn't stop at 12 they were that good i'm talking about this was good and there was a personal relationship now i'm not saying the big store is bad I'm simply saying that what it did is it changed. And so now what happens is rather than me having to drive all over town, I can do it all in one convenient spot. Now I can save time. And so in the effort to save time, I disconnected. Now we've got a thing called Facebook, and I've got 3,729 friends that I have never met. And now I am more disconnected than I have ever. I am more Technology connected, but personally disconnected. And that's happening in the church. And so what happens is we're, we're disconnecting. We're, we want this church that has all this stuff, but you forget all that stuff takes time and effort. Well, somebody's got to do it. Well, I don't, I don't know. It's not going to be me, because I just, I just need to go. Because it's about me. Instead of the community. Surely someone will take care of it. You know, I know we have a lot of babies that need to be taken care of. But, you know, I'm just, I raised my babies already. I don't want to, I want to go to church, not nursery. There you go. <laughs> Say to your neighbor, he's helping us. He's helping us. But what's happened is we've got this radical individualism. We, we want the desires of our lives. We want our stuff fulfilled. And it's like, well, well it's just going to take, if I can make it work, if it's convenient, then I'll make it work. Now, here's the thing. Here's the kicker. In our Christianity, the truth is this. In no uncertain terms... The Bible tells us that we are to value Jesus above everything else. And that our faith should boldly and intentionally value others more than ourselves. You cannot escape that message in the Bible. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it's on the screen. It said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look not only on his own interest, but also the interest of others. I don't know if we could get it any clearer than that, but if we need help, Romans chapter 12, 11, uh, 9 through 11 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate towards one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to, the, to one another, not lagging in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. 
serving you is serving the Lord. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ by serving you. That's Bible. He goes on in Philippians 1. You've got you to catch this because this is, this is a, a different perspective. Paul's writing in Philippians 1.21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Here is Paul the Apostle. This is what amazes me. Listen to his words. He goes, yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. That would presuppose he has a choice in this matter. He could choose heaven or he could choose to stay. I'm not sure the depth of that or understand all of that. But I know he says, I am hard-pressed. In other words, this is a tough decision. And I'm struggling between the two because I have a desire to go be with Jesus. And he says, and that would be better by far for me. But he says, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh or to stay here is more needful for you. So what is Paul saying? He says, it's irrelevant what I want. What you need is important to me. I want to go be with Jesus in heaven. And that's going to be really good, better by far for me. He says, but what's needful for you, and that's what I'm paying attention to, is for me to stay right where I'm at. To go through what I'm going through. Because it's needful for you. Now I want to show you a clip from a movie. And I always promised that sometime in my ministry, I would have a clip from Star Trek. So here it is. Spock! Danger. Yes. Don't grieve, Admiral. Just logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. You know, the first time I saw that was a long time ago. But I'm not ashamed to say that I cried. How can you kill Spock? He came back in the next movie. That's what you got to love about Hollywood, man. But, you know, I, I remember that. And as I was studying for this sermon that, that, that came out, that jumped out, I, and I, 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 I really think it was God speaking to me because then what followed was this next verse in John fifteen thirteen? God quickened to me, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You know, church, we talk about love and we talk about grace and mercy and we talk about those things and we should. But if we're not willing to do those things, we miss the point altogether. Love is not comfortable. Love is not cheap. Love costs Jesus everything. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are made whole. If you jump down, that's Isaiah 53, 5. If you jump down to verse 10, in that same chapter it says this, It pleased the Father 
to crush him. Why? Because the needs of the many outweighed the needs of the few or the one. That is the principle. That is the essence of the church of Jesus Christ. Is that we would prioritize others above ourselves. That we would prioritize the family as a whole above ourselves. That's not to say that our needs are not real. That's not to say that we don't have legitimate concerns and difficulties and all of those things. It's to say that there is a better way to solve that than to deprioritize the church. See, if you only pay attention to you, you will never be satisfied. Life works when you prioritize someone else. When you look at someone else, that is the essence, that's the secret of success. When I serve someone else, one man put it this way, listen to what he writes, Joseph H. Hillerman, who wrote a book called When the Church Was a Family, he says this, the New Testament picture of the church as a family flies in the face of our individualistic culture orientation. God's intention is not to become the good, feel-good father of a myriad of isolated individuals who appropriate Christian faith as yet another avenue towards personal enlightenment. Nor is the biblical Jesus to be conceived of as some sort of spiritual mentor who can somehow make uh, me happy and take, uh, 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 take, from the, take me from church to church or marriage to marriage, fully assured that our personal Savior will somehow bless and redeem our destructive relational choices every step of the way. What we find in the Bible, rather, is a God who seems at least as concerned with his group, that means me and my brothers and sisters in Christ, as he is with the individual, meaning me in relationship with God. What does that mean? I can only be complete when I'm connected to you. It's called the body of Christ. But if I allow a lot of modern theology, a lot of things to get in the way, I forget that it's more than just me. And in the essence of being more than just me, then all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, I begin to pay attention to what I want. And when I pay attention to what I want, I soon disconnect from the whole. Think about this. In Paul's letters, Paul refers to Jesus as our Lord 53 times. Only once does he express my Lord. What is his priority? It speaks volumes of his priority. Paul's overarching concern in his ministry went far beyond the personal spiritual pilgrimage of his individual converts. Now listen, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want me to individually grow. He does. I am still an individual. Just like in my marriage, I am an individual. I have needs and desires that are uniquely mine. But if I put those second to that of my wife, I find my needs get met a lot faster when I pay attention to hers and vice versa. There is a way to see it fulfilled. There is a way to be whole. There is a way to be satisfied in everything. See, in the kingdom, if you want to live, you've got to die. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to get, you've got to give. If you want to feel satisfied, if you, if you want to be prioritized, you've got to prioritize someone else. Are you hearing that? And it's the family dynamic that will advance the kingdom of God in the world. See, if we insist on a culture of individualism, then when we gather together in a room, we will be nothing more than just a collection of individuals who primary concern is what I want. And unless my concern and your concern are exactly the same, one of us is going to be disappointed. As I close, I want you to think about this. God's plan to meet my need was through the avenue of first meeting your need. I learned this a long time ago, and I remember hearing this 
There's a guy in our fellowship, in the Praise Chapel Fellowship. His name is Billy Hall. Some few of you might know who he is. Um, I remember hearing him preach one time. He said, when I'm battling depression or discouragement or that kind of thing, he says, what I do is I find somebody I can minister to. He says, even if I got to go to a bus stop and sit down and just encourage somebody. He says, because the moment I get my eyes off me, I begin to feel better. And I know that's true because so many times through my life I have come to church, I have come to Jacob's Ladder, to Bible studies, to a counseling session, and have been just bummed out for a variety of reasons. I mean, the the reasons are as many as the sands on the seashore. Sometimes, Sometimes it's just because I'm bummed out. But the moment I begin to minister, the moment I begin to speak into another life or begin to minister help and concern, to someone else all of a sudden I started feeling much better all of a sudden I started feeling that victory rise why? because my preoccupation with self hinders me from receiving what God wants me to have so the question is this morning how do you make a good church great? you do you make it great by prioritizing the church, the family. Saying, this is my family. For better, for worse, as crazy, as goofy as it may be, this is my family. And I love my family. And although it may be difficult and it may be uncomfortable and sometimes it may cost me, I love my family. And I'm going to be there for my family and I'm going to step up in my family I'm going to find my place in the family now look at families because every time you preach a message like this you'll get the accompanying criticism well you know you guys you don't do family well well let me tell you something families are not perfect what they are is real families are real there's a story, and I know my brother Jeff Adams, as soon as I say it, he's going he's gonna to love it. There's a story, very old, but very true. It's called The Velveteen Rabbit. And if I could, just in closing, I'm, I'm almost done here. Velveteen Rabbit one day was asked, what is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a handle that sticks out? Velveteen rabbit said, real isn't how you're made. Or the the skin horse said to the rabbit, it isn't how you're made. It's the things that happen to you when when a child loves you a long, long time. Not just with play, but really loves you. Then you become real. Does it hurt, the rabbit asked. Sometimes, said the skin horse. For he always is truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up? Oh, no, just little bit by little bit. It doesn't happen all at once. It takes time. You become, after a long time, real. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who easily break or have sharp edges or who are carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most most of the hair has been loved off. Your eyes drop out. Your joints are loose and shabby. (laughs) But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you cannot be ugly except to people who don't understand. Now, you know what? Praise Chapel is not a perfect church. And I can tell you that there are a great many flaws at Praise Chapel, including its pastor. But let me say this to you. I can tell you we are real. I got some rub spots. If you could look at me spiritually, the hair has been rubbed off. After 30 years of ministry, some of those sharp edges have been banged around a little bit. But I love this church. This is where God put me. 
In the eons past, God sat down, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and they looked at me, the blueprints of John Poole, and they said, where are we going to put him? And God goes, I have the perfect place. He hates the desert, but we're putting him in the desert. Because there's something that we're going to put in him that that group of people is going to need. And when he sat down and looked at the blueprints of you, he said, right there, that, that's the right spot. And when they become real together, they will not only change Kingman, they'll change the world. Because they'll be a family and nothing will be able to stop them. Because they love each other with the kind of love we love each other with. See, the devil doesn't want us to love each other. And he doesn't want us to become real. Because he knows that if we'll just simply be polite and politically correct and not get too deep and look out solely for our own interests and that we encourage everyone to be comfortable and we medicate any pain, he knows that we will be ineffective. We'll look good. We'll be like a piece of china sitting in a china cabinet that does nothing more than display itself we won't be real this is why Jesus in the church placed such an enormous emphasis on sharing the love of God in the context of family because it makes us real are you hearing what I'm talking about today we have to fight this individualistic worldview that it's about me yes your needs are important but let someone else prioritize them. You'll find it tastes a lot better. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your truth. Father, we pray today that this revelation, God, would just set upon our hearts and change us and mold us. Father, that you would create within our spirit and our our minds, the essence of family. Lord, that you would help us to draw together, to connect, to be one. Lord, that we would begin through the difficulty of building relationship, that we would build relationship, that we would get out of our box, out of our comfort zone, and God, find one another, that we would connect with one another, fall in love with one another. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Father, we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name.